this is basically a stalemate over COVID funding for the pandemic response. We know Congress has passed several uh, COVID relief packages that the administration wanted. What was the holdup this time? There was some frustration among lawmakers, Democrats in particular, about not being brought into consultation by the White House early enough. For months, we have been engaging Congress about our needs for additional COVID response funds. Top that off with concerns about bringing Republicans on board for additional funds. They want to spend an additional 15? Give me a break. Those consequences are dire. It's a little chaotic. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Annie Reese. White House reporter Adam Kankren has been covering the finger-pointing over funds to fight COVID. Would you believe that nobody thinks that this standoff is actually their fault? Never <laughs> happened before in, in Washington, D.C., I know. Classic. The White House asked for $22.5 billion for COVID response funds. Last week, Congress put together a bipartisan $15 billion plan. But so far, exactly $0 have been agreed upon. So today, how the White House and Capitol Hill are hoping to secure the funds and what is going to happen when they run out of money. What's at stake here is whether or not, essentially, we continue to have a response at all, whether there continue to be vaccines available, treatments available, and sufficient testing. And what has happened here is that the White House asked a few weeks ago for about $22.5 billion to kind of yeah. keep those core medical needs going. Mm -hmm. It looked like we were all set to approve about $15 billion. Of course, it wasn't ideal, but at least it's something. Last week, uh, until at the last minute, there was a revolt in the House among Democrats over yeah. essentially how we were going to pay for that. And what it has devolved into now is a fight over how exactly we're going to get this funding through, whether it's going to go through, and in Republicans' minds, whether this is even needed beyond, uh, you know, kind of what is what the government has on hand right now. What was Biden's biggest argument to Congress for where the funding went and why it had been insufficient? Because that's the Republican message yeah. right now, right? Is there sort of like, well, show me, show me where the funds have been allocated? Sure. And, and to be fair, there's been a lot of money allocated toward the pandemic, as you might expect, going back to the Trump administration. Where that money has gone has been a lot of places, right? We've had economic aid programs. We've had uh, direct payments to Americans, if you remember that. We've had the child tax credit, right, which gave monthly allowances to parents of children. Where the money has gone more recently has been to stockpiling uh, supplies, that went into combating these various vi variants that we've that we've faced. So Delta, mm -hmm. Omicron came right afterward, and you know we didn't kind of expect another variant to come that quickly. And so you saw a big ramp up in testing again. You saw a lot of vaccines going out the door, and most importantly, you saw the development of these new kind of novel treatments, right? Ones that if you get COVID, you can now go out and and take and they reduce your risk of ending up in the hospital or even dying. Mm -hmm. The problem is all that costs money, and you need to pay that money up front if you want supplies to come through when you need it, right? So we're mm -hmm. talking here in March about money and, and orders that need to be placed to make sure we have enough supplies in July, right, or in September, when odds are, you know, we may see another variant, we may see another surge. Okay, so as you've pointed out, the White House says that they've kind of given 
Republicans in Congress, you know, like an itemized list or at least yeah. shown where this money is coming from. But like, have they? <laughs> That's a good question. Republicans are still have this many number of questions about, you know, where everything is coming from. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like the dilemma at the, at the core of it is Republicans say they haven't seen enough detail, right? But they haven't really given specifics on what details they're not getting that they actually need, right? Outside of a full accounting, which who knows exactly what that means. And in talking with White House officials, they have kind of come to believe that Republicans understand more money is needed, but they're still kind of feigning uncertainty because they ultimately don't want to support more funding, right? So you have this kind of back and forth of, of both sides kind of talking past each other, and it's unclear what they can agree on that would be sufficient. Have you seen these tables? Like, are they public? They're not public, but I think they, but the White House has, has made an effort over the past couple weeks to really kind of delineate what programs are at risk, right? And so that's the vaccine supplies, that's the treatment supplies, that's the program for, you know, uninsured um, patients. Those are the kinds of things that, that they're talking about being, you know, at risk and, and out of money. And then to go back to House Democrats, which you talked about, on the night that this bill was going to pass, they revolted because the money was actually going to come out of funding for their states, right? But now there's no funding. It's been kind of interesting to watch how Democrats have handled this because on the one hand, look, this is actually, you know, Republicans standing in the way of things, right? If 10 Senate Republicans just agreed to say, uh, you know, we passed COVID aid without any kind of spending offsets for two years now, let's just continue doing that, then this would not be an issue, right? There would have been no problems and wouldn't have to have to worry about any of the pay for issues. And what I have been told by the White House and in, in, in my reporting there is that they have tried to supply Republicans with everything they've asked, right? They've shown them tables and data showing, you know, individual accounts and how much money is left in each one. But for whatever reason, that hasn't been enough for Republicans in the Senate. And on a Democratic side, this again has kind of become a political issue here where the original proposed pay for was going to be taking money from aid that was meant for states and localities. Mm. And that became an issue the day before passage because suddenly you had all these governors saying, wait, we had plans for that money. If you yeah. take it from us, we're going to be you know, left in a bad way. And ultimately, Democrats, uh, a lot of the Democrats who be, have had their constituents affected decided it was better to hold off on the COVID funding now nationally than, you know, face angry phone calls from the governor and all these state leaders over the fact that they just gave up money for their own home state. Mm -hmm. But now it would have to be a standalone spending bill, right? So like the original ask is 22.5, then it was 15. We're currently at zero. <laughs> How much would a standalone spending bill be? And, and the, what's the difficulty of passing that? This is the question, and this is the thing that the White House tried to kind of hammer home with, with Democrats was, you know, we're at 15, right? And at this point, it's a decision between 15 or nothing at all. Right now, what's happened is that Democrats have given up any leverage they had, right? If you remember, the $15 billion package was supposed to be part of a broader government funding bill. It had mm -hmm. uh, emergency aid for Ukraine, right? So there was a big incentive to get that done. Now, there's none of that urgency anymore, at least among Republicans. 
Mm-hmm. You have to pass this as a standalone bill, which means that you need to somehow figure out 60 votes in the Senate. And that means compromising with Republicans. And what has made that more difficult is that Republicans have now kind of changed their demands from being satisfied with having this $15.6 billion partially paid for to now saying, actually, we're not even really convinced you need the money, but at minimum, it needs to be paid for in full. So you have this search now for additional offsets mm. that nobody has really been able to settle on as of yet. And so in the meantime, before any additional COVID funding gets approved, what are the consequences? You've talked about some of those, but could you just kind of really drill down into some of them? Yeah, the, the consequences are uh, really immediate and uh, honestly really concerning. Um, you're talking about stockpiles of treatments and vaccines running out literally within months, right? So the White House has said that their testing capacity will start declining this month. They'll have to start scaling back or ending programs by the end of the month. Um, One of those is a program that made sure providers were paid uh, for giving free treatments and free care, COVID care to uninsured patients, right? So that fund and that Mm -hmm. program would end. In May, the projection is that the administration will run out of monoclonal antibody treatments, which have been touted by Republican and Democratic governors alike as being really key treatment tools for those who are at risk of being becoming severely ill. So those are just gone and off the table. Mm-hmm. You're talking about you know, treatments for people who are immunocompromised and most at risk running out in the summer. And then you know, a few months later, you're talking about real concerns about whether we will have enough vaccines for all Americans if a second booster is needed if there is another surge and now suddenly there's a lot of demand again for vaccines. Yeah. And we have honestly never been in that position before. And as you mentioned, we know that Pfizer has recommended a fourth shot, a second booster for adults 65 plus. The administration said they'd already purchased vaccine doses that would account for that number of people. But if everyone needs a booster, like you're saying, the administration might run out of money what would that look like? You know, would insured people then be paying for a vaccine? Do we know what that would actually look like in practice? It's a, it's a good question. And one I don't think we have a clear answer on right now. And I, I know that one that the administration is trying to figure out as well. If you remember, we may have to do a second booster, right? A fourth shot, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would be for, you know, at least 65 plus, um, potentially at some point, you know, all American adults. Mm-hmm. And we also have at some point, vaccines for children under five, which has not yet been authorized yet, but which you know everybody expects we will see by April or May. So when you think about mm. you know that stockpile, it's it's a matter of having enough vaccines for you know children, for higher risk Americans, and potentially for all of us at some point. And the real question is less if and more just a matter of when, based on what the scientific data turns out. I think one of the interesting things here is that, like, there have been many trillions of dollars spent on this global pandemic, like, understandably. But at what point does the conversation need to be at all about tapering spending? Or at least, like, if this is something that is going to continue as it seems it is, it can't only be this, like, these emergency allocations. Absolutely. If this situation hasn't, hasn't, you know, hammered at home. I mean, I, I, both you know, folks in the administration and lawmakers understand that at some point, you know, 
a more sustainable solution will have to be found, right? You cannot continue to use emergency supplementals to just kind of continue throwing money at it. And ideally, what that looks like, right, is more sustainable funding streams for public health agencies, for public health preparedness, for state and local efforts, right, to stay on top of not just COVID, but all kinds of other public health concerns and diseases, right? And there are some proposals in Congress. Patty Murray, a Democrat from Washington, and, and Richard Burr, from the Republican from North Carolina, have really been leading on this in terms of trying to envision what that would look like over the longer term. The problem is that that is still, you know, a, a longer term kind of thing. And there are immediate needs now. Um, and I think, you know, if we are able to avoid another massive surge or a major setback, you would really see a lot of that planning, you know, start to pick up steam, you know, maybe over the summer or a little bit later this year. But as of now, there are still, you know, these kind of immediate concerns that need to be dealt with before you can get to the, you know, what does this look like on a more sustainable, longer term path? Mm -hmm. The problem, at least politically, is that there's a great desire in this country to never have to worry about the pandemic at all or just not even to think about it. Right. It feels like things are good. So let's not worry about it. And that has really kind of taken hold in Congress as well. The problem is, as soon as we get another variant, everybody's going to be running around asking why we weren't better prepared. And that is kind of the dilemma politically that we face right now. All right, that's our show for this week. I'm Annie Reese, and a big thank you to Adam Kankren from our healthcare team for joining me. Dispatch's senior editor is Raghu Manavalan, and our executive producer is Jenny Ament. Have a good one. Talk to you soon.